Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBA Schooled. And I'm delighted today because I have Sarah Izzo and Mike Treiser here with me. Both of them are Fuqua MBA students in the class of 2021. And in addition to that, they serve an important role. Both of them are co-presidents of the Fuqua MBAA or the MBA Association. And I'm going to talk to them today about their experience leading the MBAAA or the MBAA uh, over the past few months, some of the opportunities and challenges that have come with that, and just what they are seeing as they start another year of business school. So Sarah and Mike, first off, thank you so much for joining me today. And Sarah, I'm going to start with you. Just could you give a brief just introduction of yourself and who you are, all of that fun stuff? Yeah, of course. Well, Al, thanks for having us today. We're huge fans of kind of what you've got going on here, and we're really excited to be joining you. So my name is Sarah Izzo. I'm one of two co-presidents. Mike's my better half. Yeah, we've had a blast doing this, and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. Grew up in a small town in Southern Mass. Ended up going to Hamilton College in upstate New York, where I studied neuroscience. Was inspired to get into healthcare and thought I'd end up going to medical school because I had a lot of health issues as a kid growing up. And that was kind of my inspiration to pursue healthcare, but ended up realizing that healthcare consulting in the business world was maybe a better fit for me. So I went into healthcare consulting for a few years, first in DC and then up in Boston, my hometown. Wanted to transition out of consulting. So ended up um, coming to business school to focus on digital health and spent my summer at Vertex Pharmaceuticals, a biotech company, kind of working on their digital strategy. So I've had an incredible experience at Duke so far, both in the health sector management program and and working in student government with Mike. And uh, I look forward to speaking a little bit more about that today. Great. Thank you, Sarah. Mike, do you want to do the same? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, everybody. I'm Mike. I agree with Sarah on just about everything, except we tend to agree to disagree about which one of us is is the better half, but that's okay. We'll, we'll pick that phone another day. Um, I'm originally from Naples, Florida, and went to the University of Florida. So, you know, still go Gators. Similar to Sarah, I have a lot of crossover in our stories. Actually lived in Boston for a time working in political campaigning, and then spent kind of most of my formative career years at Deloitte Consulting and the Strategy Practice in Washington, D.C. as well. Uh, needed to take a break from the consulting approach to things and move to Utah where I skied a lot, but I also worked for this great software as a service company called Qualtrics that does uh, surveys and customer experience management. So that was a a phenomenal experience as well. And realized that there was just a a really meaningful opportunity for me personally to develop more as as a leader and as a human and to re-pivot and kind of focus more on developing a founder's mindset and going more in the direction of entrepreneurship, which this summer took the form of joining Search Fund Accelerator and uh, moving more in the entrepreneurship through acquisition direction. So it's been a wild ride. Student government definitely wasn't on my radar um, when I came into this, but because of Sarah and so many other great folks that I know we'll talk about today, you know, that's been one of the defining experiences of, of my MBA. Thank you. And I didn't realize that you both had done stints in Boston and DC. 
It sounds like we've all done stints in Boston. I'm just curious, do you have a favorite neighborhood in the city in particular that you're, you're particularly fond of? I feel like Mike loves the North End. Okay. Which, with its, am, I, am I right on that, Mike? <laughs> I, it, it's such a hard, it's a tie because I, I love the North End. It's where I worked, but I also got to live on Newbury in this yeah. very Aladdin-esque brownstone walk-up where you'd like overlook you know, Agrabah or Newbury, and, mm-hmm. but the, the unit itself had no air conditioning. So I'd show up to work sweaty every day, but that's whatever. I think Somerville has a special place in my heart, though. Okay. I know it's not Boston proper, but Porter Square is pretty good. Mike, I'm, I think I'm towards you. I lived in Kenmore Square. I had the brownstone as well. I had the four-story walk-up with no air conditioning. So I feel you. It builds character. I'm here. <laughs> and, and steps. Yes. <laughs> you got a lot of steps <laughs> yes. in. No, no other, yes, all, all steps. Uh, very, no, very fond memories of Boston, particularly at this time of year. Okay, so let's, let's really dive into it. So for those who are listening who are maybe not familiar, usually student government elections happen, you know, in your first year sometime in, you know, the February, March timeframe. It just so happens that this year we had a pretty eventful February and March um, in the world. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. So maybe Sarah, we'll start with you because I'm looking at you. You know, take us back to, to March 2020. You know, what's going on in your head, right? You know, what's going on in your head? And then what happened and, and what, did you, what did you have to do to spring into action? Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's, it's always important to remember in these roles that you're not, you're not just dealing with the student government. There was also a huge personal impact, right? I mean, when I think back to March, what stands out to me was going to Costco, having gloves on, coming home, stripping at the door, running into the shower and asking my boyfriend to put all my clothes in the laundry, right? So like, and this was all coming from a place of fear. We had no idea what this virus was, what was going on, who was at risk. And so, you know, there, there, was, a, there was a real personal impact to all of us, regardless of our role in any sort of student government or leadership position. Um, but I, I think that that perspective bled into MBAA and, and our role. And we were saying, you know, what if this comes into our community? We, we did have some cases um, from traveling and that was scary. Just, I, I remember a lot of uncertainty. Like, I, I think at one point when we got back, we were very optimistic that, you know, we'd maybe make it back for the second years to have graduation throughout the spring into the early summer. I remember thinking that, you know, maybe orientation, which just happened this week, would be in person. So, you know, as I say that, right, it, it's, it's a bit of a series of disappointments realizing that things that you thought you could maybe do might not happen. But actually, as we kick off this year, I'm, I'm feeling more optimistic because I'm seeing that while it looks a little bit different from what we might have expected, we're able to make the most of it now that we've gotten into the steady state. So, I think that's a great perspective. And I'm curious just because I, I identify with what you say in terms of when you realize that maybe something that you wanted is not going to happen and there's that moment of disappointment. But now you fast forward to where we are now and it, we're in a good place. But in those moments, it can feel pretty tough. How did you kind of manage through that, right? Like, how did you pick yourself up from the notion of, I just realized that, you know, we're not going to be able to watch our second years graduate in person. Like, how do you respond in those moments of disappointment? I mean, Mike, I don't know if you want to chime in, but I, I felt like we didn't even have the time to process what was going on. It was just constant phone calls and emails and meetings, but curious to hear your perspective, Mike. 
Yeah, I, well, I, I couldn't disagree with that, right? It, you take things a day at a time and you try to remind those in formal positions of leadership with us to, to take things a day at a time, right? We didn't have the chance to have strategic conversations about how we would handle things and who we wanted to be and who what our aspirational vision and mission and objectives were. There was no storming, norming, performing. There was just go. And, you know, something that, that Sarah has always reminded me of that I'm so grateful for as a human is that in this role, you know, you always get told, take on any position of responsibility. They're like, oh, it's going to be very thankless. You know, you hear that a lot. Like, why would anybody want to do that? You're not going to get thanked. And it's like, maybe fair under normal conditions. We'll never know because like you said, we took seats the day of, but, but what really struck us is that we've been thanked too much, if anything, by our classmates. And, and we attribute that as we would to Team Fugua, to, to the fact that we, we hold this, this special perspective on rising tides, lifting all boats. And, and what Sarah's reminded me of consistently is that we've got amazing classmates, both in formal roles and not in formal roles. And so a, a huge thing that made it easier than maybe it would have was we had a lot of people who just picked up and went right? Who, who kind of walked along with us and said, hey, I'm going to figure out how to be contributive here. I'm going to figure out how to, to raise the bar and to be kind and to be thoughtful and not leave it to just Mike and Sarah, right? Mike and Sarah are working around the clock, which we were, but more importantly, you know, they were thanking us and then they were getting up and they were going and they were looking out for other people as well. And, and that turned out to be the real silver lining and the real thing that I think got us through. Sarah, do you, would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like that vision of the pick, pick it up and run with it. I don't think we really, you know, we, we think back to March. I don't think we processed what happened until this summer. And once there was finally classes ended and there was a time to breathe. And, and that was a wave of emotion and it was challenging, but we've, we've got Team Fuqua beside us and working with us and that makes it all better. I think that's great. And one of the things I know we, we briefly touched on when we talked before this was in times like this, you often see the culture that you've built. And what you both are describing to me is that regardless of formal position or informal position, you know, in times of challenge, in times where there maybe isn't a direction, uh, your response will often be measured by, you know, the values or the beliefs in the, or the behaviors that you instill within the, the culture that exists. And because that's what people look to and gravitate to. And so it, as an outsider, what I see is that, Mike, to your point, sorry to your point, the, the Team Fuqua did come out. Um, to support the work that you're doing, the work that everyone else was doing. So that was just something that that I saw and I heard. And, you know, on that notion, you know, in leading, um, one of the unique aspects of being in your shoes as a student leader, and particularly in the MBAA, is that you often sometimes play a couple different sides of it, right? Or you have to look from a couple different perspectives, right? So you're obviously looking at in terms of you're looking out for the students, um, but you also are probably because you're dealing with so many other constituents and stakeholders, whether it's administrators, whether it's uh, professors, you're often looking from other people's perspectives, right? Um, and you're, you have to look and, and, and look at different vantage points. Um, I'm curious, particularly over the past few months, you know, what has it been like to kind of get an inside look, um, not just to, you know, what students are thinking about, because you would have, you know, I think, I think you saw that, but just maybe from some of these other perspectives, right? Because um, this was also very difficult for many of the other different um, stakeholders that, that you work with each and every day. I can get us started there. I, I think that you realize in times like this, first of all, I'll be your point that it reveals character but in, in everyone. Um, but second of all, it's, it's very much a, you know, pants go on one leg at a time for all of us kind of moment where the administrators are humans too. And it's really easy to think, oh, they've got it all figured out, right? And, oh, they must have 
you know, multiple layers of opinions and thoughts about this and there must be a plan for this. And the truth is nobody planned for this. You know, Nate Silver didn't plan for this. Nobody knew that this was coming down the pike. And so at some point you just go, uh, it, it was a great opportunity to preach empathy and to, and to practice better empathy and to assume that people are coming from a good place, but a confused place. So when we work with the administration, right, it's like, are really lucky. We're really lucky. Now you've called this out before that, that the team Fuqua thing gets stewarded by adults, serious adults in the room who, who are always there and are, you know, very much committed to bringing in kind people. Right. But they themselves are kind. They themselves think about the student experience and do their best to make good decisions. Um, but when everybody's terrified, it, it's really helping to, to comb that out and to make sure that everybody knows that everybody's coming from a good place. Um, if that sheds any light. It, abs- it absolutely does. No, I think that's, I think that's great. Uh, I think that's great perspective. And um, I, I love the analogy of putting uh, one pan, one pan, one pan, phone pan on before the other, because I, I think you're absolutely right. And yes, as I think a lot of people, whether it's in student government in business school or interest in business in general, like you're right. Like there, there, for a lot of these things, there really wasn't um, a playbook and people were thinking of things on the fly. So I, I think there's totally, totally a lot of great perspective there. Let's call for what it is. I think you both have been through a lot over the past few months. Um, I'm curious, um, and Mike, I'm looking at you, so maybe we'll start with you. Would you mind sharing maybe a a high moment and then maybe a low moment? Yeah, so I'll start with the low so I can end the high. The low was somewhere after Ahmaud Arbery and before George Floyd. There was this reckoning to use a word that's been used a lot this year, um, where we realized that what we were dealing with was so multifaceted, which is selfish and self-serving to say because the whole world was, and that's and that's an underlying current, right? Is recognizing that we're not special in that regard, but knowing that we needed to find a new normal where taking on this role, whatever we thought we were getting ourselves into had become irrelevant and planning adult prom didn't really matter in any context anymore. Really, it was more about how do you, how do we, how do we foster the kind of culture that we say we believe in, that we say that we have, and how do we make sure that that applies? So the low was in, in kind of recognizing that the world was continuing to change and that we had more serious things that we needed to address with our own community than just the things that come with making sure that people can get their coffee more quickly. And that was a low moment because it's just like, I, I didn't feel in that moment, like I had prepared mentally or emotionally to be a, a leader in that context. And so having to make up ground on that, and I looked to Sarah in so many ways for, for being a, a light in those moments, that was a low. The high was the other side of that was we pulled together a series of conversations with our classmates and also with the administration, with the staff, with faculty and team Fuqua showed I mean, people took steps, people, people made commitments and they followed through on them in terms of educating around becoming anti-racist and actually taking action to show our classmates of diverse backgrounds that they matter here, that equity matters to us. So life in general, you see kind of the, the trough and then, and then the pickup on the other side of it. And in this case, it was just one of those, the world kept changing. We knew that we had more to do, but the way that the community kind of picked up and, and went with it and really showed what we are and what we care about as, as individuals and, and as a collective, that was a really big high for me. I think that's great. And Mike, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love for you to maybe talk a little bit more just about um, uh, what you mentioned there in terms of really the community coming together to show up, to really uh, be, to promote anti-racism. Um, I know, and I, I saw it in your blog post. Um, one of the things that you shared was kind of the commitment, um, those commitment cards. I'm butchering the name of it. So I apologize because I can't remember it off the top of my head. 
but uh, in a, and in the blog post, you had posted yours, and it sounds like there are other students who went and posted theirs as well. Um, would you mind maybe sharing just a little bit of, of, of how that came about and, and just, you know, for you personally, you know, what you put on or, or what you, you are focused on? Because I, I just think it's a, uh, to your point about showing up um, and taking action, like I think it's a really good example of it. Well, we're going to want Sarah to definitely speak to this specifically because she actually designed the Fuqua Pledge to Learn and Act, um, which the name of which is important because both of those aspects matter, right? Learning and acting. So for me personally, um, since, since I'm already talking, the, the, the beauty of, of what she designed there in that template and the fact that it got taken up was, for me, it was, okay, you know, being kind to everyone is not being anti-racist, right? And, and since we're on a podcast, right, someone who uh, happens to be white from the United States, uh, from a coastal area, Right, I, I don't represent what we would call classified diversity in today's world, and simply growing up to to believe that you know everybody's created equal and we all can pursue the same things doesn't enable us all to walk on the same path. Um, and I think a lot of people have been coming to recognize that. So for me, it was we reading white fragility alongside of our administrators. That was a big thing um, that we're that we're coming to a conclusion of now is basically having a, a book club that says, hey, we're committed to having these tough conversations. And then it was empowering our amazing VP of diversity and inclusion to uh, get out there and work with the orientation co-chairs to make sure that the incoming class was going to actually be exposed to diversity content and actually have to have these conversations literally on day two of their MBA experience, that we're not hiding the lead, that we're not saying, oh, this is something you'll get to, or you'll be exposed to people in your first year team, all of which matters. But no, we're, we're going to put the legwork in to make sure that we're saying no, that you know that these things actually have to be codified and, and uh in hard form and people actually need to be exposed from day one. And we executed on this week and that was huge. But Sarah is the true mastermind behind that template. So I defer to her. Yeah. Sarah, anything you want, you will, you want to, you want to add to that? No, I think it, um, the intention behind it when we discussed and, and Mike, you're, you're giving me too much credit. So it's always a team effort here, but you know, when, when Ahmed Aubrey and George Floyd and, and all these conversations started, I think, Many of us, and, and again, as, as a white woman, we were exposed to things that we should have been exposed to earlier and enlightened to things that we should have seen. Um, but the reality was that was when it happened. And we all wanted to do something. And I think that that energy should and, and can be channeled in a way that leverages what we are specifically involved in and the leadership roles that we are in. And so the intent that we had in creating that was saying, what clubs are you in? What leadership positions do you hold? What in the realm of what you were involved in, how in that small community or corner of our community, how can you make an effort there? Because all those little pieces added up are the collective impact that we can have on our community. And when you go out in the world, you know, it can be really overwhelming when whether it's, you know, systemic racism or a pandemic or, you know, the, the many other things that we might face as a nation and a world, it can be really overwhelming. But when you realize that we all have a small part in that and you don't have to solve the entire problem, but you can solve it in a small way and that's additive over time and across people, um, that's how you create lasting change. Uh, I think that's a really great point. And I also think that that is also why it's really valuable that uh, the, both of you as well as your leadership team, you know, really took a hold of something like this because to your point, 
not everyone has to, you know, start a nonprofit or, um, you know, um, do this, that, or the other, but if you can do the thing that you can do and inspire others to do the thing that they can do, I think that is where, you know, the change can start to happen. Um, uh, and, uh, and so that, that kind of is what, what comes to mind as you both are, are sharing, um, your experience with it. But, um, on that, I did still, Sarah, I do want to hear about your, your high and your low. Um, thank you for indulging me on this. Cause I it did yeah. come top of mind as Mike was bringing it up, but yeah, I would love to hear from you just, uh, over your past couple months, you know, what was your high, what was your low? Yeah, well, I think, I think Mike certainly hit on some of them, but my low, I'll start with my low, like Mike did. Um, it's, it's very small, but it was like a month and a half ago. I think we were on a Wednesday meeting with some of the administrators and some other student leaders and nothing in particular, but we were just all feeling really down and like really, I don't want to say unmotivated, but like I was really unmotivated. And I said, you know, this has been a really long few months. And I think I alluded to it earlier. It's like when you're in that fight, it's easy to keep fighting. And then when it kind of stops, you have this like this release of this breath that you've been holding for so long. And it's just like, it, it, it was kind of overwhelming. And so it, it's a really arbitrary moment, but it stuck out to me as, as just a lesson. And you don't know when the emotional impact of these things are going to hit. Um, but when they do, it's really hard. And, and we leaned into it. We said, it's okay if we're just going to sit here and complain and say, like, the world is not in a great place right now. Um, knowing that the sun would still rise the next day and we would get through it and we'd virtually hold each other's hands and pick each other up. So, um, you know, that, that was my low, but I, my high, actually, I I'm still writing the high of orientation, which ended yesterday. And I, um, I, I called last night, the two chairs who organized it, Maddie Osborne or Kira Osborne and Maddie Conway getting the names mixed up there. So they, um, they organized it and there was this at the end, the celebration for everything that they had done. I was hundreds of miles away. I'm still with my family in Massachusetts. I'm sitting in front of my laptop and I'm like, I'm crying, you know, I've just like the energy for the three days, everything they had put together and it was all virtual. And I'm experiencing here in, in my, at my desk, the same thing that our first years are experiencing in their virtual world. And if I can feel that love and that energy coming from that group, I was confident that our first years could too. And so, you know, seeing that whatever throws, you know, whatever Fuqua gets thrown at our way, like we will rise above it. And we'll, like I said, the sun will rise the next day and we'll pick each other up and, and share that team Fuqua love. So um, I know that sounds probably really corny, but it was just, I'm still riding that high. So (laughs) No, I, I don't think it's, I mean, objective. I don't think it sounds corny at all. I think what it sounds like to me is that you all collectively have worked on something that had a lot of challenges uh, in a lot of ways, and you were able to collectively work through it, and it went well, and you're celebrating the success of it. And, and also, too, and I think perhaps one of the things that I, for me, was always very um, valuable and endearing about being in a leadership role um, was the fact that when you could do something that made an impact for something beyond yourself in, in a way that was truly meaningful for, for others. And I would like to think that that might even feel even more magnified. The winds may feel more magnified in a time like this, just acknowledging what 
people are going through right now. I feel like in general, I feel like wins mean more <laughs> now um, for anything, but particularly something of this scale, like you said, for 400 incoming students, just knowing what they've been through and knowing what all of the other student leaders who were involved, you know, had to do to show up to make this really great. So um, at least from my end, it doesn't feel cheesy at all, it's whatever that's worth. Well, um, Al, real quick, since you brought up the number of the incoming class, it's worth mentioning that something that we don't get to take credit for uh, and wouldn't, but our admissions team brought in a larger class this year than our class, notably a, a, a larger, uh, a larger incoming class. The first year class is going to be larger than our classes. We got to see a group of people who, and, and maybe this is of particular interest to your listeners who are considering pursuing yeah. MBA and thinking, hey, does an MBA still make sense? Does an in-person full-time MBA still make sense in the world that we live in, right? what we've seen over the last few days to Sarah's point, and, and I think an underlying thing why it was such a high for both of us as well, is because not only is it larger in numbers, but the spirit of that class was really profound. We did something yeah. that we call Section Olympics, which you can find out about if you're interested in FUCA and want to talk to one of our ambassadors. But basically, you know, we, we took some things that really shouldn't have worked in a virtual environment. And it worked because these people are have have a lot of heart and are coming in dedicated to making this experience profound and they're they're finding ways to connect with each other virtual and otherwise but doing it in a safe way and and they're coming into this with the sort of openness and tolerance and and the sort of perspective that we're hoping will reinvigorate our school in general but i think also is reflective of probably what we're seeing across schools right and the fact that the mba does still matter right and if anything in in moments like this our, our dean's comment was now's the time to really figure out how to be an impactful leader, right? Now's the yeah. time to get in with another group of people who believe that tomorrow can still be better than today has been. Yeah. And, and that this is a place to do that. So I just think that's important is that, you know, it also is this culmination of here comes this energy and, and we get to tap into that too. So selfishly, that's pretty exciting. It is. And thank you for bringing that up. And maybe this is a, a good segue, Mike, because I, I know that one of the things that um, you spent some time on, um, I think this past summer, was working and collaborating with uh, some of your colleagues in admissions and maybe some other students on thinking about how might we really uh, drive engagement and excitement amongst the incoming class. So would you mind maybe talking about what some of those things were? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for bringing up my baby, which was Team Fuqua Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Which I I just want to add, Mike says he can't take any credit for the incoming class being bigger, but I think that it was in large part due to what Mike's about to tell you about, which he completely owned. So I will give him credit for that. (laughs) That's great. Thanks, Sarah. (laughs) So here's the important thing. The thing that we learned, and it kind of goes back to one of your earlier points out, which is what did we learn about the other stakeholders, administrators, et cetera. And what we really learned in all this is people don't want polished perfection. People want real. Uh, People want exposure to what's actually going on. And even if you don't have a full answer for people, they want to know that you care and that, that you're working toward an answer. So this idea really came from the perspective of, hey, we tell people that we have great people, right? We, we win on the fact that we care. Why don't we help make that connection easier? So it basically turned into every week, Tuesday, 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern, of course, uh, we would have a, a lunch and learn, right? And people would join a Zoom, of course, and it, it was open to their entire class. And we would have different members of the administration and different students who have taken up formal roles of overseeing whatever aspect of that. So 
call it international affairs, right? Our international VP and the head of our international programs office. Our variety of deans who oversee academics and the different aspects of student life really leaned into this conversation. So folks who usually would either be behind the scenes who care deeply about students or who appear perhaps as ivory tower and kind of out of reach of students, we're getting on and just saying, hey, we're going to have a conversation. We'll tell you what we're seeing. We'll tell you what we're excited about. We'll tell you what we're nervous about. And you can ask us anything you want in front of any other members of your class who choose to join. And we had almost 200 students, uh, 200, excuse me, prospective admits every week um, who were there to, to hear about the experience and, and to make their, their decision. And, you know, what we found was that, A, that kept them engaged, right? That gave people a chance to have something to look forward to on a consistent basis. And B, it really broke down the barrier of the ambiguity in a world where we're all contending with a whole lot of ambiguity. So that was Team Fuca Tuesday. And that's a great idea. And, and what I, I love about that, well, two things. Number one, um, uh, to your I think to your point, the open lines of communication and the ability to let people see what's going on. And, and maybe if, even if nobody has the answers, it's just the acknowledgement of we're here to chat and we're here to share what we know. And I think that is really critical and something that students really appreciate, you know, particularly during you know, times where there is uncertainty. Um, but the other thing which I, I really like about this is that, um, and I think we talked about this before, was why not do this every year now then, right? In terms of, you know, and, and, and this is in my mind, you know, this pandemic has been awful for lots of reasons, but it has, you know, potentially given opportunities to try things that for when this ends, we may just do this for good, right? Because it can be effective in, in terms of driving better engagement in terms of onboarding students. And so um, a lot of challenging things, obviously, this pandemic has brought, but it has brought opportunities to find new ways of working and thinking. And so I just thought that was a really great thing. And certainly I, it's, I can see why I can definitely play a role in really helping students feel welcomed uh, to the community and, exci and, and excited as well. In addition to, um, you know, I do, I would say there are a lot of other schools that I've talked to where um, students do feel excited about coming because they've, they, they knew, they, I don't want to say they knew what they signed up for, but um, you know, they were paying attention to the news and their lives over the past couple months. And they had to make a decision about, do I want to, you know, put down this money, take off this time from work, fully acknowledging that um, the, the, where this is right now. And so, uh, yes, I do think in general students are excited to be here, but I also think you, there's probably some things you all are doing right that have amped that excitement to a, another level. Um, uh, Sarah, I wanted to go to you because I was reading your blog post and uh, one of the quotes that really stuck out to me and that resonated me with was something along the lines of how you said, uh, this, the last few months have been a, a live leadership lab. Um, and I'm just curious if you wouldn't mind maybe talking about what have you learned, you know, from this lab that, you know, as you think about, you know, your career and life after business school that you hope to, to really take with you, um, maybe some lessons that you learned, or as you think about your own kind of leadership style for, you know, again, personal or, or life, you know, what do you hope to kind of bring from this experience, um, that will help you continue to be a leader, you know, after you graduate from Fuqua. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've learned a lot and, and it's funny you know, when you ask that question, I I'm like, gosh, I could probably write a thousands of pages of all the little things. But one of the things that has stood out is you often hear, um, you can't make everyone happy. And I don't know that that does it justice because I think it's, it's, it's not just about happiness. Oftentimes I find when you're in a leadership role like this, 
you literally are faced with two decisions that, you know, one thing is better for one group and one thing is just inherently not good for another. You know, a lot of the things that we faced this summer with different policies around international students and what we were going to do to, you know, make it feasible for them to stay in the U.S. um, with the policies at the time. Um, There are a lot of a lot of questions that we are throwing around and, and things that you know, sometimes what's best for one group that you're leading is, is truly not what's best for another. Um, and so that, that's something that weighs heavily on, on both Mike and I often. And to, you know, pivot to real world example, this summer in my internship, um, I'm working in biotech and we have patients. And one of the projects I was thinking about what is best for our patient experience and our legal team was telling us what's best for the patient experience isn't necessarily what we should be doing from a legal standpoint. And so you're constantly having to make these trade-offs. But really, I guess I shouldn't use the word trade-offs because eventually you learn to find a way to problem solve and not necessarily compromise, but, but innovate and be creative to find something where you can follow the law, but you can also do what's best for your students or your patients or, or whomever it is that you're trying to problem solve for. Um, so I think that was one major lesson. Uh, another thing, and I think we've talked a little bit, or I, I've touched a little bit on the mental health implication of all of this, but one of the things that has weighed heavily on me is feeling like you could always be doing more. Like I go to bed at night and I say, there are more problems to be solved for our student body, even to this day, right? Like this hour right now, this is an hour that Mike and I could be trying to problem solve. But the reality is that, you know, no matter who you are, there's, there's always more things to be done. And if you are just constantly pushing yourself on the brink of, you know, burnout or um, just being overwhelmed, you're, you're never going to be in the right mindset to solve the important problems. And so it's, it's been a good lesson in reminding myself it's okay to take care of myself. It's okay to take a break from this. Um, and thank you, thankfully for Mike and, and our, our administrative counterparts have been really uh, vital in reminding us of that. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm thankful that you're here for this hour and not off solving other problems. So, so thank you for making that choice. But no, I, I agree. I mean, I think that too, for many of these things, um, those challenges will still be there, right? Like, you know, you, you, can, you can go run at it, um, you know, when you're rested. And I think also too, part of being at your best is in order to be at your best, you have to be able to, to, to step back and take care of yourself. And so um, I think it's, it's a, almost like a short-term preservation for success over perhaps a longer period of time. Um, well, that's great. I think those are, those are really great lessons. Um, so, um, and Sarah, maybe I can continue with you. So just kind of going into this next year of business school, like you said, just kicked off orientation for first years, uh, you know, yesterday, um, you know, despite the fact that, you know, for, for the second years in particular, this year is going to definitely be different than the majority of last year and probably different than, what many of you thought you were going to experience in business school when you were going through your own kind of application process and thinking about what my next two years were going to be like. Um, so despite that, um, what are you personally, you know, excited for, um, for this year? Um, I'm excited for Mike and I to finally get to do some of the things that we had initially set out to do before all of COVID hit. Like it's a really small thing, but I was so excited about it was big block of cheese day. Um, For our listeners who might not be familiar, um, the West Wing, uh, one of my, both of our favorite TV shows 
Um, I believe Mike is probably drinking out of his West Wing mug as we speak. Mike, back me up on this. So what was the story? So Big Block of Cheese Day, was it what president did it? Where he would like, this is, you know, like 200 years ago. Jefferson, thank you. So he'd like wheel in a block of cheese to the White House and citizens could just come and take a piece of cheese, advocate for something that mattered to them. So we wanted to be doing that on a somewhat regular basis. And like I said, we were just so like, in you know, in the mindset of crisis management that like, it's the little things like that, that we just kind of frankly had to put by the wayside. But now that we've gotten in this groove of, um, you know, kind of understanding what this virtual world is like, we can start getting on some of those bigger initiatives that can still go on in a virtual or hybrid world. Uh, I love that idea. Um, I think that's, I think that's really great. Um, Mike, is there anything that you, uh, you want to add to in terms of what you might be uh, excited about in terms of this year? Well, what's, phenomenal is that it's we right we're we're, i think that we've been in lockstep in terms of what this vision ends up looking like so i think the two parts of it right sarah brought up the the great one which is strategically how do we think about making bigger adjustments my piece of that 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 kind of comes in and and i think the end of the yang there is one-on-one relationships i think if you ask anybody who's going through an mba right now uh, certainly you know we'll we'll just speak for what we know we'll we'll say that you know here at fuqua uh, everyone has been primarily in durham for the summer and that's presented a lot of opportunities for a lot of socially distant walks and you know getting together on on small group basis which gets very tedious in the normal world of MBA where you're constantly running, right? And even that time between school and home and needing to get a suit on for different things and, and you know, just the things that consume your day, it gets very easy to forget that um, that the most meaningful interactions, I think, in the world happen um, in smaller group settings when you're actually focused. So there's a certain beauty in the quiet that's come from COVID where, yeah, maybe we can't spend as much time on campus. Maybe we can't do the big group loud party things, but we certainly can help facilitate and we plan to uh, bring people together on one-on-one basis across the first and second year classes to facilitate the sorts of relationships that we think are going to stand the test of time even better perhaps than, than the things that you usually see traditionally highlighted as, you know, core of the MBA experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think those are, those are all great points. And um, certainly having lived in Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, a uh, great place to be outside and do uh, uh, socially distant and safe outdoor activities. Um, uh, so that's, that is really great. Um, thank you both for, for joining. I guess maybe just the last question I have to wrap this up, you know, as you think about um, second years, your fellow classmates, um, you, know, uh, you know, what advice do you have um, for your classmates or second years out there right now um, in terms of, you know, navigating this, this final year, right. In terms of either making the most of it or, um, you know, acknowledging that I got one more year left, you know, what, you know, how do I get the most out of it? Um, you know, what kind of advice would you, would you have, um, for those, for those students? I'll, I'll kick us off and Sarah can take us home. Uh, I, I think that optimism, choosing optimism, actively choosing optimism, is the key to making the most of of anything but particularly this year yeah. right uh, just in having talked to so many of our classmates you start to see two camps right and, and there's sort of two paths you can choose to shout at the rain or you can go dance in it but you can't really do both and you know while sarah and i are, are happy to be here for folks who are going through hard times at some point you go 
you know, the world has shifted. We all are profoundly fortunate. I'm going to avoid using the word privileged because that's become, you know, so specific this year, but we're, we're all very fortunate to be in this position. We have an opportunity to go be socially distant, but in person, we have a chance to be surrounded by amazing people, whether we do it on Zoom or not. We have exposure to these incredible professors and to be a part of this community and to talk to folks like you and Sarah's in my case. And you just go, we could spend time doing this instead of feeling sorry for ourselves. So mm-hmm. I, I think the advice for me is choose to actively engage in optimism and choose to, to focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. Because in my own personal world, I don't claim to be an expert at this, but I can say that in the moments when I've chosen to engage in that over the last few months, it's made me a better human. And the outcomes have definitely been a lot better than they would have been um, in the times when I've started to fall into the pit of, well, we can't do X, Y, or Z. I think that's great advice. And Sarah, I'd love to ask you the same question, but uh, for first years, you know, as you said, orientation just ended yesterday. So what advice do you have for first years in terms of helping them think about how they can make the most of their first year of business school in these times? Yeah, I think definitely step out of your comfort zone. Um, Mike and I frequently say that we did not come into business school thinking that we'd be in this role. Um, And on a daily basis, I feel a little bit out of my comfort zone or like, you know, should I really be in this role? Um, But I've I've learned a ton from it and it's been incredibly rewarding. Um, And there's several other examples. I mean, small things like I got involved in the Duke Angel Network. I was curious what venture capital would be like. I tried to get involved with that. Um, you know, helping plan the healthcare conference, right? There's there's all these little things that you can just put yourself out there and try and do and, and learn something new. Um, and in that, right, don't don't forget what why you came to business school in the first place. What were what were your goals, and and how can you push yourself to make the most of your time here? I can't let her go on that because she dropped the best quote of orientation, and I think it deserves to be unpacked here. You said, please go fail. this is your time to please go fail. And I thought that was the most spectacular thing that any one of us could have said to any one of them. And, you know, Al's listeners deserve to have you unpack that. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mike. I, I felt a little bit like a, like a, what is it? Foot in your mouth moment. I was like, should I have just told all these 400 students to go fail? Um, I hope they don't misread that, but no, I, I, I truly meant it. I said that I hope they fail. We, so a little bit of context, Mike and I were speaking on the behalf of, or, um, on the tales of Ashley Rosette, this just incredible person who was talking about doubting yourself. And, and I told all these classmates like that, even after my first year, that lesson in not doubting yourself is still relevant today. I don't think any of us are going to graduate, um, you know, all of a sudden with this renewed sense of confidence, like, oh, I've, I've got this. I know exactly what I'm doing in this world and not a care in the world. Right. Um, I, I think there's, that's always going to be there, but the way that you you can build yourself up to have the the doubt on one shoulder, but the confidence on the other um, is through failing and building that resilience for that. And so um, I've learned much more from my failures than I have. I don't remember the successes nearly as much as the failures. I should remember them equally, but I've certainly learned more from the failures. <laughs> I, I love that quote and I love that advice. And I think that's a great way to, great way to wrap this up. Um, Sarah and Mike, Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your stories as well as your, your wisdom and uh, best wishes uh, for a great um, year. Um, it sounds like you've come a long way, but there's a lot of exciting things ahead. So thank you for being on the MBA Insider Podcast. Thanks for having us. Al. Thanks for having us. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. 
If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.